Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors, Take a Walk, and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. And once again, we are on Zoom. We're not in person today. No, and um, we have not made a podcast for the past couple weeks because um, my dad died very unexpectedly um, on November 1st. And so I've just been, um, whatever, I've been grieving, living with that and um, starting that process. And um, I guess all I really want to say about it, it's just like one of those very strange places where um, what is personal is very intermingled with my work in ways that I think are are good. I mean, like we not only pastor the churches that we're a part of, but we there are churches. And so, um, you know, it, my congregation has been great, and my friends have been um, great. Um, preaching for me. You preached for me. Some other folks preached for me, which has been really good um, just to have space to kind of like wrestle with the reality of that. And, um, and it's been hard because it, I mean, obviously it's hard. And then it's sort of another layer of hard because of COVID, you can't um, have a service. You can't do the normal things that you do, which I, um, which is just, I mean, I think always hard, obviously, if you are a person of faith and if you are a pastor, then then worship is something that gives you comfort and solace and strength and helps you make meaning. And so, you know, one of the things that I um, love most, strangely, we've talked about this before, um, one of the things that I find most sacred and meaningful about being a pastor is um, being with people when they're grieving and and having these promises and sort of the right amount of healthy detachment that you can you can stand in promises for people and so it's just really hard that that can't um you know that just can't happen for for me in this time because can't gather with the community and so anyway i i just have been thinking about all of that and how really unfathomable it is to be on the other side of this experience, even though it's something that I thought about a lot. I mean, I don't think that, I think it's pretty common as a pastor that if you spend your life like helping people pick up the pieces after death, you you can't help but think quite often of, you know, of what it will be like when it's your parents. And, you, you know, so I, I still find it so, um, like in a clinical way, interesting how unprepared and how unreal it all seems to me, given that I feel like I spend more than the typical amount of time. Um, and, and also, 
whatever, I, I am really aware that it is a huge and enormous blessing and privilege to be 45 years old and really for the first time in my life, um, you know, losing someone that I love. So anyway, all of that, and I guess I, I'm thinking about that and I'm um, also was thinking about what I wanted to say because you're just starting to pick up pieces of your life and figuring out how do you sort of re-enter. Um, and I was thinking about what is astonishing me right now. And there's a lot that's just kind of too tender to share. But um, my congregation, unsurprisingly, has to me, um, even though they can't gather, they can't see me, like just um, the ways that they have been pouring love into me and my family have just been really, um, I mean, it's not news to me. There's such a loving congregation anyway. It's not news to me. I'm not surprised to find out that they love me, but it just, it matters so much. Like all these things that you do when someone dies that I've done my whole life, tried to do my whole life, like, you know, sending a card or bringing food or sending flowers or just checking in on people. You do these things and you just don't even realize until, until you are the one grieving just how much of a difference it makes. And um, I think especially as a pastor, I mean, this isn't because I'm a pastor. This is just because I'm deeply like connected to my faith community, how much of, of a huge difference it makes um, to have a church that surrounds you and, and loves you and is your friend and walks you through this. And um, I, it was making me think that like a couple years ago, um, or I'm, I'm part of a clergy group that I keep inviting you to and you keep not coming, but um, I'm part of a clergy group that we go on retreat every year. And this past May would have been our 20th. Um, and for a while, for a while we were super academic and we would like read a book and sometimes like have an outside speaker come in and like do a couple of days of teaching with us. And we, we don't really do that anymore. But, <laughs> but one year we were there um, and this woman, we were studying Teresa of Avila and I think we had this local professor. Her name was, I think Mary Ludi. I can't even remember her name, but she was a, um, she had been a Catholic nun and then had left Catholicism and converted to like the Episcopalian church or something. And then had been invited to pastor a church and get ordained. And she was telling the story about how she had really wrestled with that decision. Was she called to that? Should she do it? And she was kind of seeking counsel from her friends. Um, and one of the pastors reached out to her and said, you know, Mary, I feel very strongly. And, you know, you think, I mean, people talk so often about how hard it is to be a pastor and how draining it is and how, what a sacrifice it is. And he said to her, um, I feel very strongly that you should do this. You need to let yourself be loved by a congregation. And I think that's so true. Um, and I don't feel like as pastors, we're as honest as we should be um, about what, not just what a privilege it is to serve, but what a, just a blessing it is that in a healthy congregation, um, you just, uh, congregations really love their pastors and it is such, it's so much balm. I mean, I think he was saying to her, like, you have been through so much in your faith journey that is hard. And I really want you to have the experience of being loved by a congregation. And I just always remembered her telling that story. And I, I've always felt that I've already really experienced the truth of that. Um, 
And then just especially in the season, just like what an amazing thing it has been for, um, for my church to love me and pour into me and like literally nourish me and um, make space for me and show tons of grace towards me. And um, so I'm really just astonished and grateful for that. Um, and um, grateful to figure out sort of how to step back into this role. Um, and, and that's been really good too. So that is what I am thinking and astonished by and awkward transition to you. <laughs> well, you know, as we've said so many times, one of the gifts of the calling that we have is to be a part of a community that loves us, that nurtures us, that is, um, you know, church leadership does require some healthy detachment but at the same time, we get to make friends um, in mm -hmm. these in these congregations, and so it's it's really beautiful to hear and see how your congregation is loving you through this hard time, and um, also how you are allowing them. Because you know, for many of us, there's a there's a level of pride that says, "I've always I always have to be the caregiver. I always need to be the one in control, in charge." I need to be dispensing knowledge, dispensing care, and not the recipient of. And so it's it's beautiful to see that go both ways. I think it's healthy. I think it's it's what God intended um, in in the church. Well, I mean, I just think that if you're a pastor, especially a local church pastor, you know, you you should believe in church. And so if I weren't a pastor, mm -hmm. I would still be part of a church community. And this. Yes would be the church that I would, I mean, you know, like, I think that's just that line of realizing like, yes, you're the pastor and you have a particular role, but you're also, I mean, even though technically in our polity, we're not, and we could talk about the implications of that, that I think are not super healthy, but like, I'm a member of this community. Like, this is my, this is my community. And so this is um, what we all do in turn is bear one another's burdens. And there's no, no one of us in the community who is always the burden bearer or always the burdened like that sort of turning and turning around is um just really sacred so yeah and in my own times of suffering and grief and struggle i've been really grateful for um the tools we're given as um pastors right we we have this set of theological spiritual tools and I'm so accustomed to teaching and sharing them with others. And there have been times in my own walk where I realized that if, if I were not a pastor, I probably wouldn't have the level of, of spiritual um, um, depth, maturity that I have simply because I do certain things day in and day out, week in and week out. And for that, I'm grateful. Yeah. So what is astonishing you? What are you thinking about? Well, I have to preface what I'm about to say with, um, you know, just acknowledging that I know that everyone is election weary. <laughs> <laughs> like, in including myself, right? I'm just tired. But 
I am astonished by Joe Biden and how he has handled this transition. Right, right after the election, there was a press conference and a reporter asked him directly, right, with, with um, Trump going to court and, and refusing to concede. And this reporter asked something like, what if the Republicans uh, refuse to acknowledge that you are the president-elect? And he very calmly and matter-of-factly said, they will. And that was it. And in that moment, I felt in my own body this release of anxiety and tension because he said it in such a way that was so confident, but at the same time, so humble. It said, I got this. Everybody just calm down. I literally felt in my body a peace. And uh, for me, it was a, a leadership lesson mm-hmm. that as leaders, it matters. It matters that we do the right thing, yes, but also tone and attitude, they also matter um, because they have an effect upon people. I'm, again, in that moment, I, I mean, I felt, um, I, I felt a peace when he said, they will. And that was it because he could have done something like, you know, just went on an angry rant and in many ways justified, right? He could have talked about how horrible, how, um, what, what an injustice was being done to him. I mean, I mean, he could have gone in several different directions, all probably justified. And yet he chose that one. And I think, and my prayer for him uh, is that he would continue in that kind of wisdom. Um, I don't know if it's if that's always the thing he needs to do, but I hope, I pray that he has the wisdom to know uh, when to walk in that. Um, I, I'm just aware of, you know, those places in the Bible that, that talk about um, the power of the tongue. Um, and I, his words in that moment for me, were incredibly powerful, as simple as they were. I think that, I mean, A, this whole experience has been really strange for me because I feel like I've been watching it all through like bubble Mm -hmm. glass or something. Like I feel very detached from it. But I I think you're right that for me, um, it has been a real leadership um, lesson just to realize that I think that, and I think you and I are similar, that like a huge strength and necessity in, in pastoring is to be passionate. I mean, you have, you have to be passionate. If you're not passionate, mm-hmm. then what then, are you doing? Right. And like, if you don't care about what you're doing and saying, like, why should anyone else? And if, mm-hmm. and if what we say in, is true and what we carry, the word we carry is true, which it is, then we have to have passion surrounding that. But that, um, I think the lessons for me is he, he did not, he had the, um, he had the healthy detachment to not inject more anxiety into an already anxious system. And he was very clearly um, not taking this personally so that he, he was able to, and, and I think this is like a, a something that I, I have to remind myself um, is that, you know, in the church system, I mean, if it's functioning as it should, then people are growing and people are changing and there is discomfort and in the role that we 
serve in, a lot of that will be like articulated and voiced and directed towards us. And it's easy um, in moments of weakness when you're not centered to just take that really personally. And I, what I see in watching him do that is he was just saying like, it's not even about me as an individual. It's about this is a system and this is how it works. And I don't need to be, you know, I, I don't need to grandstand. I don't need to bloviate. I don't need, you know, um, and, you know, who knows how things might change in the future. And it's not that there might not ever be a, a, a moment for, but it, but it isn't now. And I think if you're, if you have that healthy detachment and if you have that sense of self and worth that isn't, you know, doesn't depend on someone else saying, yes, this is reality that you just know, well, I know what reality is. And so whether or not other people, you know, see it, see it is not, doesn't change, change what it is. And I think, I mean, again, like obviously neither one of us is president of the United States, but I mean, there is this thing of people come into our communities with expectations that may or may not be healthy or realistic or holy. And we can sort of, ex we should expect that. Um, if, if we're doing really discipling work and disciple making work and evangelism work, then we should expect people to come in without healthy relationship techniques and without life-giving understanding of who God is and be able to sort of absorb that and preach to otherwise without taking it personally and without despairing that like, oh, what if, I mean, the body of Christ is what it is. And so we can really humbly and peacefully, resolutely bear witness to that and not inject more anxiety into systems that are sometimes understandably very anxious. So yeah, I think you're right. That, that has been a real leadership lesson. For I went through a season in which everything it felt like everything I brought to this particular church board was no. It was just no, mm -hmm. no, no. And I started taking it personally. I was like, you don't trust me. Why don't you trust me? And someone wiser said to me, look, you're right. They don't trust pastors, but it doesn't have your face on it. Right. Their right. no has someone else's face on it. And you just need to know that. And that well, just helped me get out of, you know, my, my anger, my resentment turning into bitterness, right? It's like, oh, this isn't about me. This is about something else. Right. Well, and I think especially if you're a pastor wanting to do the work of church transformation yeah. and wanting to lead your congregation into becoming a, a really healthy and holy multi-ethnic church, then then obviously you, you should have right expectation that there's going to be lots of tension and lots of loss and lots of pain involved in that process. And, and if you don't, you know, if you expect people to rise up and call you blessed every step along the way, that's, you know, that's going to be really hard. And if you need, right. And if you need people constantly to be affirming you, then you're not going to be able to lead people in, in real growth. And so, yeah, I, I think it's, I, I also was just watching that and thinking where, where's the line sometimes where my passion becomes anxiety and it really hamper, hampers everyone's ability to sort of perceive and rest in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Because I, you know, I find, I hope that I don't communicate it, but I find a lot, especially when I'm thinking about the church, but I'm not at the church or with my community that, you know, I can just really start operating in anxiety and, and realizing like, that's just really, um, and a very effective tactic for the enemy to get me operating um, out of my sense of self instead of um, 
asking what does being faithful look like here and all those questions that we've learned to ask. So that's really cool. Um, so is that your astonishment? Is that your thinking? Is that a twofer? <laughs> uh, that's what is astonishing me. I'm, I'm just simply thinking about um, Thanksgiving and uh, I'm working on a Thanksgiving message that I hope to record tomorrow sometime for the church uh, to listen to on Thanksgiving day. Um, just to acknowledge that you know, so many of us normally travel. I mean, I mean, we do as a family, but you know, we, we're not going to be with extended family and friends this year. And a lot of people will be home. We've got quite a few people in our congregation that will uh, be alone. And so I, I just want to speak to that and speak to gratitude in um, a season in which you kind of have to you, you got to fight for it a bit. I mean, so often when it comes to Thanksgiving Day, we receive it as this uh, warm, fuzzy sentiment. It's it's kind of an automatic in American culture. Of course, there's going to be the parades. There's going to be food, family, and football, and it's it it is what it is every year. And this year, because things are so different because of the pandemic, we've got to fight for the the joy and the gratitude uh, in Thanksgiving. And so I, I just want to speak to that. Um, and uh, we're looking at the scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, where Paul says, mm -hmm. um, in all circumstances, thanks. give thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. We, we sort of, this past week, I did the prayers of the people, which there's a reason I don't do it very often because mine go on for a long time. But I was <laughs> using that it's in the passage just to say like, yes, this is going to be different. And a lot of that is because we, we've built a lot of traditions around mm -hmm. something that obviously is not a Christian holiday, but it certainly is compatible with the gospel, you know, to set aside a day to give thanks to God. And we've built all kinds of things around that, that we've come to love the things we've built around it more than the actual core purpose of what it is and so just reminding people that like if this is a day to give thanks then there's there is nothing that can prevent us from giving thanks except for us and our and our own will and i think i really like and and i don't think enough people have read it and i definitely don't think enough men have read it but i i really found ann voskamp's book a thousand and one gifts to be so transformative for me and i read it really early in our church transformation process. And she's just writing about Thanksgiving as a spiritual practice and like connecting all of these moments in the life of Jesus with the act of Thanksgiving up to and including the Eucharist and understanding um, Jesus's death on the cross as, a, as an act of Thanksgiving to God and, um, and just all the life that comes out of that. And really, but really um, it's not, I mean, it is a deeply moving and um, insightful book, but what she's really doing is sharing like an actual list that she was making to give thanks to God for a thousand and one gifts in her life and doing that work um, intentionally. And I think we so often are like, yeah, 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 I'll be thankful. <laughs> but I mean, that to be thankful means that you are full of thanking the Lord. And so you know, on this day, there's obviously lots about the world right now that's regrettable, but there's no reason that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, can't have Thanksgiving if what we want 
is to give thanks to God on this day. And that's a really important thing for us to just sit with um, our, our power. And like, you know, who's the guy? Is it Henry Cloud who talks about like, you're ridiculously in charge? Here. Yeah, Henry <laughs> Cloud. Like, yeah. yeah. Right. So it's just really helpful to be like, I am ridiculously in charge That's of right. whether or not that is a day of Thanksgiving. And so I can blame whoever I want to in whatever place of power I think that they set, but I mm. am ridiculously in charge of whether I live out Thursday with a thankful heart or not. So that's good. really good. Hey, we're well, preaching the same thing this week. <laughs> we are, but here, here's what I'm going to say, and you will not give thanks. Guess what I did today? You changed. You, you're going to do something no, different. No, I didn't change. Oh, no, you I wrote didn't your change. sermon today. And not only did I write it, you recorded, I recorded it. Oh, I'm done. I'm done like a turkey. Done. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm done. Okay. The, what you have just done is very <laughs> dangerous to my soul. Because I'm I'm feeling all sorts of things that are just not holy right now. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Hate it for yeah. you. But Jealousy is still a sin. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't even started writing yet. Wow. Well, yeah. So I'm we impressed. are pressing. It's Tuesday. Well, we are not doing what we normally do for Thanksgiving, but we are still traveling to Ohio and mm. we will be with, with just Colin's parents. And so we're leaving tomorrow and I wanted to get this to our ministry coordinator, Rachel. Um, I mean, A, because just logistically, these big files are hard to send sure. mm-hmm. other. And and B, um, it's just, try every. I mean, gosh, I'm late often enough that this is a real blue moon kind of event. So, um, wow. but, but we are both, um, well, I don't know. Are we still, do we have the same Advent theme? I know we're preaching the same text. Are you, were we using the same theme? Pretty Fish? much, yeah. yeah. Um, so our, whole, our, oh, go ahead. Yeah, our theme is a defiant advent and really helping people look at, I mean, and similar to what we're talking about with Thanksgiving is that, mm-hmm. you know, it's so easy for us to just walk into this season with with our heart full of woes of like everything that can't be and everything we don't get and it's not fair. And it's really important to realize that what we lose in this season, and there's real loss and it's fair to grieve them, but what we lose in this season is nothing that is essential um, that these, I mean, it's fine that they're holidays, but what matters is that they're holy days and everything holy about these days is untouched by the season that we're in. And so, um, you know, the themes of Advent each week are, um, hope, peace, joy, and love. And I think like every human, you think, well, how (laughs) right now, how can I have hope? How can I feel peace? How can I have any joy? And how, you know, how do I feel all of this when, when nothing is the same and it seems almost like nothing is good and there's so much anxiety and fear and anger and rage and loss right now. Mm. Um, And so this idea of a defiant advent is to say, you know, it's a defiant hope that, um, you know, we, we should never be putting our hope in the way things are going in the world. And obviously it's easier to be full of hope when everything's working out and breaking in your favor, but that's not the kind of hope that we um, receive from God anyway. And so to be able to say in this season, um, especially this first week that, that we have a hope, I mean, when we have a hope now, that is a gift um, to share with the world. And so, um, and then looking at what it looks like to, um, in the coming weeks to have a defiant peace, like a, a peace, you know, and, and defiant joy and a defiant love. But um, this first week we're doing Mark, 13. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, 
I just read the first nine verses, but really alluded to the whole first, the whole chapter, which is the little apocalypse in Mark, um, which is the, actually the classic Advent reading that I usually <laughs> skip right over hashtag no thanks. Um, because I think in this season, you know, the world is kind of thinking about the birth of the Savior. And as the church, it's usually, it, I think, really appropriate and helpful to say, if people are going to talk about this, let's join the conversation. Um, and so this reading in Mark is classic Advent theology, but it's often difficult to connect with people in the season. But I think in this year, when wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famine, I mean, that just seems like it came straight from the headlines to be able to say, yeah, actually, we don't have to pretend that this isn't real in order to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Actually, um, the coming of the Lord not only doesn't ignore this really painful, broken reality, but actually is, is in response um, to it. And, and that part of the revelation of Jesus both includes that um, in, in ways that are, um, I think, mass market Christianity kind of teaches sure, bad things happen in the world, but not to you. <laughs> That's the offering right. place. Yeah. And so to be able to say like, no, 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 from the very beginning, Jesus said, this lies in the future. And, and you, so how can we have hope? That's the real question. And I, um, yeah, yeah and, and we are reminding people that hope is not some uh, sappy sentiment that sort of falls on us right, out, out of the blue, yeah. that we, we can cultivate hope. This is all about what what are you anticipating? What what are you what are you looking for? Um, if you're anticipating something good happening, you will have hope. There was a a, a nurse on uh, the CBS News interviewed this morning, and um, she was talking about the rise in COVID cases and you know how hard that is on her and other professionals um, in hospitals and um, and on families. And, um, and then she went to these possible vaccines and she said, we now have a dose of hope. Mm -hmm. And what she's simply saying is that we anticipate something good happening. And if we can anticipate, if we can have hope because we anticipate uh, a vaccine, how much more um, the, the, the coming of Jesus, right? Yeah. And I love that we're beginning Advent season with this kind of apocalyptic text because there is so much craziness in the church right now. I, I don't know yeah. if you saw the video of Paula White oh, praying geez. for the president. Yeah. She's calling angels from Africa. And I mean, well, if angels are coming from Africa, guess who they're not on the side of, right? And so you've got that kind of craziness, Kenneth Copeland, ha ha, they, the media said that, and I try to yeah, watch I mean, those kinds of things as, as someone who's not in the church. This is bananas. Yeah. But then well, on the other hand, you've got people um, who, well, all, any kind of supernatural is just, they're just not going to, talk about that. So you, we just have these extremes that we're we're navigating as preachers. Well, and I've interrupted also, you twice. On the other hand, you have people, I mean, less, but you have, have progressive Christians who who speak about Biden in, in exactly the same ways that other Christians speak about Trump, i.e., you know, it just shows that in America, we have so conflated the institutions of our nation with where, you know, with the working of the Lord with the kingdom, 
with the kingdom and, and we can't separate the two. And so when people see human institutions start to sway or be threatened, you know, they lose their, uh, as people with a damn mind, because I think like, this is not just, you know, this is sacred. And, you know, you then you've got people saying, you know, this is, this is the Lord's will for the outcome. And I mean, just all kinds of stuff because we have completely integrated and conflated the kingdoms of the world with the kingdom of Christ. And, and so, yeah, you, you really, really have no peace, whatever side of the culture were you on when you see those institutions try to crumble. And so I think this, this revelation of Jesus saying like, Hey, all these things never meant to last, never, ever meant to last. And I think you're so helpful all the time talking about new creation, new creation, new creation, new creation. This is not a cosmetic overhaul. And I, I'm with you, like to talk about this apocalyptic scene. I mean, how often in the past months have we been talking about how apocalyptic in terms of revealing and uncovering the, the world is right now? So to say like, yeah, most of the time this scene would feel very jarring um, in, in an advent, you know, at the big four weeks from Christmas. And I think right now people are like, yeah, how can I, like, how does um, a child born in a manger 2,000 years ago have anything to do with the level of brokenness and fear and enmity and hatred and rage and despair um, I see in the world right now? So, so to be able to answer those questions, I think is really, really helpful. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I did, but I know that it's... <laughs> Thanks, COVID. It's in the can now, so it might may not be such a good thing that I've done, but um, yeah, so. So now everyone is going to watch your sermon, listen to your sermon, and make a comment as to whether or not. <laughs> like, oh, a few more days might have been helpful. Oh, yeah. Anyway, well, um, thanks a lot for listening. Um, if you want to know more about Derida, D-E-R-I-T-A, church, Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, you should Google it and it will pop you right over to their website and you should go to the Podbean website um, and look for the messages, the Derrida Church messages, um, and also find the Derrida Church YouTube channel and worship um, with the congregation on Sunday mornings. Hear Yolanda's messages because they're great. Actually, your message um, that you gave the Grove, which was actually preached the day that my dad died. Like I came home from the hospital and I was sort of lurking on our worship wow. service and I listening to preaching. Wow. And it was just really whatever offline. I need to tell you how, how, um, just what a great gift that was for me wow. and, and how much powerfully the Lord used it in my life. So, um, yeah, y'all should go listen to that. <laughs> and, um, if you want to find out more about the Grove, um, it's thegrovecharlotte.org. Um, is our website and you can find the Grove Church podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and you can worship with us on Sunday morning, um, this first Sunday of Advent at 10 a.m. on Facebook Live. So thanks for listening and we will talk to you next week. Bye.